Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Civil asset forfeiture is a law enforcement tool in which police officers may seize cash and other assets believed to have been acquired as a result of criminal activity often associated with drug-related raids and traffic stops. When cash is seized, the arresting law enforcement agency often keeps it, even if those it was taken from are not charged. Some call that unconstitutional and policing for profit. That's the subject of our discussion with St. Louis Public Radio reporter Rachel Lippman and Bill Freivogel, journalism professor at SIU Carbondale. They've been part of a multi-state reporting project backed by the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting involving St. Louis Public Radio and other media outlets. Thank you both for being with us. Great to have you. Hi. Love to be here. I know this has been a long project, but let's get right to it. Bill, I'll start with you. Can you give me kind of a synopsized version, overview version of what we're talking about? So the uh, civil asset forfeiture, as you said, Don, is a a tool that police use both to fight drugs on the nation's highways and also um, because they are able to hold on to some of the assets that they seize uh, to fund their uh, departmental needs. I I spent some time down in Phelps County near Rolla, and there there, the the sheriff's uh, department has been able to use the money they've uh, held on to from civil asset forfeiture to buy lots of uh, new police cars, uh, ammunition, a shoot-don't-shoot training uh, station, a new courtroom, and a new jail, Uh, so renovated jail. So it's very important. To, uh, to to their financial well-being. And uh, I think most people would agree that uh, law enforcement can use uh, this sort of support, but is it constitutional? Well, I don't... <laughs> that's that's the question. And, and there is... It's interesting that there's a case uh, before the U.S. Supreme Court right now that's had its oral arguments and they're, we're sort of awaiting a decision um, by the Supreme Court. That one's from Indiana where... Uh, there was a, a person whose father died. He used his uh, insurance proceeds to, to the, the son used the insurance proceeds to buy a Range Rover for forty-one thousand dollars. He uh, used the Range Rover to sell drugs on a couple of different occasions. Got arrested by the police. Um, the maximum fine for the uh, for selling the drugs was ten thousand dollars. The police also took the Range Rover, which, uh, as I said, was forty thousand dollars. So, the question for the Supreme Court is: Would that be an excessive fine? And uh, you know, does the, there's a there's a part of the Eighth Amendment of the Bill of Rights that says excessive fines are unconstitutional. It's never been applied against the states. Never the states have never been forced to abide by it. Supreme Court will probably say. Hey, states, you've got to abide by it. Uh, we'll see whether they say a 40, taking a $40,000 Range Rover for a $10,000 fine is too much. Now, it doesn't directly go at the process of asset forfeiture. It's just, I, it, I believe, simply whether the excessive fines clause applies to the states. It's not a question of asset forfeiture, which the Supreme Court has said is constitutional, does not constitute an unconstitutional seizure. Yeah, we should point out the court has ruled, as Rachel just indicated on this in the past. Right. There was, a, there was an interesting uh, case back in 1996 involving uh, the Bennises from, from Michigan and uh, Tina and John Bennis. And John Bennis used the family car uh, to uh, uh, consort with prostitutes. Um, the police uh, seized the car. Tina Bennis, his wife, who didn't know anything about her husband's shenanigans, said, hey, I shouldn't have to give up the half 
my half interest in the car, the Supreme Court said, yes, <laughs> yeah, you, you may have been innocent, but the car wasn't innocent. That's sort of the, that's the legal fiction that's behind this is that the, is that the property is actually the criminal. And um, so even if the o- owner, like Tina Bennis, is innocent, uh, it, uh, the car still can be can So I suppose if corporations can be people, cars can be criminal. Hadn't <laughs> <laughs> thought of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel, you've looked at this uh, in the local level, in St. Charles County primarily. What, what have you found uh, is going on there? So the reason we mm-hmm. looked at St. Charles and Phelps counties in this project is because they benefit a lot from this process known as equitable sharing. So there are a couple of important distinctions, I think, to make within kind of the universe of asset forfeiture. There is the civil process, which is what we'll be talking about today, and then the criminal process, which is where property is forfeited or taken as punishment for a crime. So that is actually where someone is charged and then within kind of the punishment for that crime gives up property. It could be a car, could be cash, could be something like that. The important distinction in Missouri is the one between state and federal asset forfeiture processes in the same way that state and fed are different courts. The processes are different. In Missouri, actually, um, sort of libertarian leaning groups do rate Missouri's protections for civil asset forfeiture fairly well. There is no true civil asset forfeiture process. It always has to follow a criminal conviction. They say some of the protections around that part of the process aren't great, but it is actually ranked a B plus by this group, the Institute for Justice, which is why a lot of these departments, especially in St. Charles and in Phelps County, counties choose to go the federal route, which is where the equitable sharing comes in. And that is if they can find a connection to some kind of federal crime, it's usually drug trafficking, money laundering, something like that. The police departments get to keep a share of that money up to 80%. It may not be all 80%, but it's up to 80%. And then it gets directed to training equipment. Uh, As Bill mentioned, Phelps County used it to fund a new jail. The St. Charles County Police Department used it to buy a robot dog. They've used it to upgrade patrol. Um, It's it's, it's a robot dog for safety fares. It drives a little police car. It's adorable. You'll see a picture of it in my story. Um, They've used it to upgrade patrol uh, car computers uh, by training equipment for the ranges. So it's this federal side of equitable sharing where a lot of the concern comes in because the barriers are so low and the protections aren't there uh, as they are in the state. In one of your stories, I've seen the figure that over the past 20 years, the feds have uh, collected some $36 billion in, uh, in seizures. I think yeah, that was that, in Bill's story. Uh, but that was yeah. sort of the lead of my story. Yeah, right. So it's, it, um, it, it is a lot of money that's involved. The federal government in this equitable sharing program that uh, Rachel was talking about keeps uh, 20, 20% or more and then sends the rest of it back. Uh, to the to the state uh, the states. I'll give you an example. So I looked at 24 stops in Phelps County uh, in in 2016 and 2017 along I-44. All there were there were 24 stops uh, at an exit of that highway. In none of those cases was there a state criminal charge filed. Um, the cases were instead uh, and none of the cases were their drugs seized. Um, uh, cash was seized in each one of the cases, you know, ranging from from a few thousand dollars to uh, more than a hundred thousand dollars. A total in those twenty-four stops of of a couple million dollars, and and so what the what what Phelps County did in those cases is uh, is go this federal uh, detour around the state law, you know, this federal equitable sharing program where. Uh, they, uh, they, they first they have to go to a state court 
uh, and they get the state court, uh, the state court will find that there's a preponderance of the evidence, 50.1 percent uh, or more of the evidence that there's some connection between the money and a crime. Uh, then we send along to the to the federal government. They will uh, approve it and send the the majority of the money back to the state, and then you know they're able to use it the way that the way they want. I mean, the critics say uh, what the critics say is that giving the police departments and sheriffs departments this incentive to uh, try to seize cash and uh, and property and use it for their own needs. You know, gives them a questionable sort of a self-serving incentive um, that that uh, and and that, and that really there should be reforms that that uh, cut the tie between the uh, the seizure and the the police department benefit. I've heard stories, Rachel. Perhaps you have too, that. Uh, some police officers are pretty good at this sort of thing. They're, they are able to, particularly the corridors, Highway 44 and Highway 70, which are, are busy routes for drug traffickers, that there's actually a profiling system that they can use with regard to rental cars or kind of a tip that there may be something going on. Have it's you heard rental that? cars. Absolutely, yeah. It's rental cars. Um, maybe they've gotten a tip from um, st- uh, de- uh, departments kind of either east or west or north or south along these routes that, hey, we've got someone moving from a known drug house maybe coming your way. As one person that I spoke to, he is now a state representative but was an O'Fallon police officer prior to that and served on a number of these federal state drug mm-hmm. task forces. He said... Um, you pull these guys over for, you know, simple uh, traffic stop things, uh, lights out, following too closely, car tint, car tint too dark. And if they started to kind of trip all over themselves and like the basic questions, where are you going? Who are you? Go- where are you going for? Where have you been? Where are you staying? That kind of stuff. It was usually a tip to kind of be like, can we let the dog, drug dog sniff on the car? And yeah, so... Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a uh, a Phelps County Sheriff's deputy uh, who's sort of legendary along that that stretch of 44, uh, Carmelo Cravello, Sergeant Carmelo Cravello. He's a hero in his own. Department. He has a hero in his own department. I was I was walking through the sheriff's office and and one of uh, one of the officers sort of pulled me aside and said, you know, if we didn't have uh, Carmelo, we wouldn't ha- we'd be buying our own holsters. You know, he he is a godsend. And uh, he's an interesting guy. He's a Sicilian background. Some people call him the Puerto Rican because he also speaks Spanish. He's been doing this for 20 years. Um, and, uh, you know, he has, uh, some of his, his prosecuting attorney, the prosecuting attorney down there said he's, he's even seen Carmelo sometimes put a, put a guy, put a person he stopped up at a hotel and put, give him bus fare to, to get back to where, to where he's going. So he's an interesting and, and, uh, and colorful character. But, you know, as Rachel says, you know, they look, so something, or as, as you said too, Don, they look for something suspicious like, uh, rental car, um, uh, they they particularly look at cars going west because they're more interested in getting the cash than they are in getting the drugs, um, and uh, and then you know if they see something suspicious, then they look for the traffic violation. You know, changing lanes without a blinker, hit that fog rumble strip on the right. That's enough. Take them off. Look, then start looking for suspicious stuff. You know, discrepancies in their stories. They're sweating. Their the carotid artery is uh, beating fast. Uh, uh, they have the maybe they have a, a whole a whole forest of those Christmas tree f- uh, air fresheners air hanging fresheners, on yeah. their rearview mirror. 
and then they'll say, hey, do you mind if we look in the car? And, or do you uh, let, the, let the drug dog sniff? Right. Most, most people apparently say okay to con- give the consent without even a- requiring the drug dog because uh, you know, they, they figure if they said no, they would, look, they would look guilty. It seems like the whole probable cause issue is, uh, is a lot weaker in cases like this than it might be in other kinds of cases. Yeah. So, you know, you've got probable cause to take them off the highway for the traffic violation. But then, you know, to get the get, – once you've – uh, once the all you all you really need to have uh, to get into the whole f- federal equitable equitable sharing is fifty point one percent of the evidence that the cash you found has some connection to the drug crime. There was actually something really interesting as I was doing the research for the St. Charles story. These these forms that they use to basically send this case federal are boilerplate. And you can pull them off of Missouri's uh, court system fairly easily, at least in St. Charles County. They're pretty good about uploading stuff. And they actually had to, for one of the 2017 stops, they actually had to resubmit the motion because they had put the wrong name in the motion for the one case. It was, I, I you know, I'm not going to remember exactly what the person was, but it was like the name clearly of like a case that they had handled yesterday and they just copy and pasted the wrong thing. So it's very formulaic. It's very, you know, I believe that because of my training, they had this, 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 and this. They're traveling westbound. I actually, like Bill mentioned, I counted of the 36 asset forfeiture cases or seizures of property in 2017, 25 of them were on I-70 in St. Charles County westbound. So like you said, heading back towards, you know, distribution, what's California, Colorado, wherever, uh, for these drugs with the cash. And some of the amounts, I mean, we're looking at 140000 I think the biggest one, the biggest amount they seized was $225,000. Of course, the critics say, you know, well, the police are, 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 concentrating on the westbound lanes because they want to get the cash. Uh, if they really wanted to stop the drugs, they'd be trying to get the drugs coming in. Well, the argument that, yeah, go the ahead. Poli- yeah, the go. police say, on the other hand, you really hurt the drug cartels yeah. by, by, you know, t- by taking their cash. Federal prosecutors say the same thing, that for the cartel to make a pound of marijuana or 100 pounds of marijuana is essentially pocket change to them. You pull the yeah. cash out of the system, that's what's going to, to hurt them worse, relatively speaking. I've got it. I take a break now, but you hear some of the figures thrown around in the El Chapo case uh, recently tried. Uh, you know, $100,000 is pocket change, yeah. chump change, as they call it. We've got to take the break. We'll do that now, come back and continue our conversation on civil asset forfeiture with Bill Freivogel and Rachel Littman. Uh, back in a moment, this is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by Lindenwood University's Hammond Institute for Free Enterprise, examining market approaches to help solve economic and social issues. Hammond.Institute. Now back to our conversation with Rachel Lippman and Bill Freivogel on civil asset forfeiture. Bill, one of the things that strikes me, and as a, as a lawyer, I'm sure it has struck you too, is the fact that uh, even if people are not charged, the money that was seized in the stop is is kept uh, more often than not, I gather. More often than, than not, yes. Uh, I mean, a notice is sent along to the person from whom uh, the money was seized. They have a chance to uh, try to uh, file and get it back. It's, uh, they don't very often succeed. It's sort of a it's a difficult process. It's got deadlines. It's got lots of procedural 
uh, hurdles. There aren't very many lawyers who are uh, involved, who who very know very much about this whole area, and so it's hard to get a lawyer uh, to represent you. And if you you know if you don't have a lawyer and you make a few mistakes on the on the uh, petition that you filed, it's going to get it's going to get thrown out. Well, one thing that we were also talking about uh, over the break is that quite a number of the people who are stopped, at least in in my look at uh, Phelps County, uh, are people with Hispanic names, um, and so I think about sixteen of the twenty four uh, that I looked at had Hispanic names. Now the Phelps County folks will. Are very very strongly say we you know we do not racially profile in any way but but that's what the that's what the statistics show. R- Rachel, I, most of these people who are stopped this way, I'm sure are are mules. They're just transporting the drugs rather than being dealers. They've got some splaining to do, I think, to the boys back uh, south of the border. You would think so, yeah. Um, it, it, what kind of happens after this cash gets seized? We we don't know, but I can't imagine picking up the phone and calling your <laughs> boss, who's calling that boss, who's calling that boss. But you know, again, in the grand scheme of things, the same way that drugs can be kind of disposable, I'd imagine some of these individuals are as well. I don't know that they're going to be killed, but they probably aren't getting this business anymore, if you will. It takes a lot of time for this whole process that Bill just outlined Mm -hmm. to unravel itself, months and even years before the money is in the hands of the police. Yes. Uh, when I spoke to Chris Hunt, who kind of oversees St. Charles County's asset forfeiture program and the patrols, the directed patrols that bring in this money, he was telling me that what they brought in in 2017 was from cases back in 2013, 2014. So they, they do, uh, Jeff Jensen at the prosecutor's office, the U.S. attorney here in St. Louis was telling me they t- make all of the efforts they, they can to contact and find these people. Obviously, if there are legal challenges to the cash from attorneys and uh, the people who they they seized it from, that can delay the process. Sometimes they will halt a civil case if they believe there might be some criminal charges filed. For example, I mean, there were four civil, four or five, I think, in St. Charles County where there were federal cases in 2017 filed. Interestingly enough, I believe all of them were seized from St. Louis area residents as opposed to people with out-of-state addresses. There was one who may have been charged. Some things line up to make me think that he may have been then charged in Indiana on a separate case. But so, again, are these people, and is this cash innocent? Who knows? Um, As an attorney I spoke to put it, there are legitimate reasons for individuals to be traveling with large amounts of cash. But essentially what these officers are doing are rolling the dice that Um, a sequence of events generally playing out like they see it leads to, as they put it, in my experience and belief, to a connection to drug trafficking. I think most of the people that they seize large amounts of money from are involved in the drug trafficking. I think, as Rachel said, there are there are people. There there are a number of examples of people who were carrying large amounts of money for innocent reasons, and, and of course those those uh, this shouldn't happen in those cases. A lot of people are stopped, you know, in on the initial suspicion, and then nothing's found and sent along their way. So you know, those people are, are suffering some some dis- discomfort that they that they don't really need to. There must be some very interesting stories for people explaining uh, why they have large amounts of cash, whether it's just <laughs> just Well, there was, there, was, there was one gentleman who had about $140,000 seized from him in St. Charles County who said that he operated a dent repair business down, dent repair, excuse me, for cars, down in Tennessee, and he used 
a workforce of individuals who are in the country undocumented and therefore needed to have the cash because it was the easiest way to pay them. They maybe didn't have bank accounts or social security numbers. And he, that was his explanation for why he had this much money in his car. One, one of the stories that uh, of your series that uh, I read indicated that someone had put a lot of money in above ceiling tiles in in the uh, in his room his home somehow is that ringing a bell or did I read that someplace else? and had some crazy explanation for why it was yeah there. well there there definitely are crazy places that they put them and and uh, crazy explanations uh, the Carmelo Cravello uh, down in Phelps County uh, explained I mean gave us some showed us some of the examples like cash in oil in in batteries uh, uh, fake uh, gas tanks that are filled uh, with cash, um, separate uh, compartments that are built into the car that can only be opened through, um, you know, particular, a series of actions by the, by the driver. One thing that's interesting about the whole situation, I think, though, is that there's, a, there's both conservative libertarians and sort of traditional ACLU libertarians, uh, you know, combined together on this to say, uh, that civil asset forfeiture is being abused, uh, and and that there need to be reforms. Uh, the Koch brothers on, you know, on on the one side, and as I say, the ACLU on, on the other. In in Congress, it's Rand Paul who pushes for the reform, and uh, Charles Grassley has been very involved in it. Uh, so it's it's something that it, that 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 can be a bipartisan uh, effort. What about here, Rachel? So here for the third year, uh, State Representative Shamed Dogan, he's a Baldwin Republican, so just on that edge of St. Louis County, uh, in one of the sort of more conservative libertarian um, civil libertarian side of things for the last three years. So 2019 will be the third year that he's introduced this bill to set essentially a floor on when police departments could use the federal equitable sharing program. So if departments didn't seize amounts below $100,000 or amounts seized below $100,000 would have to go through the state process, which is where it would go into the school funding formula. It's a little bit of a boost for schools. Uh, In 2018, he negotiated that down to a $50,000 floor for seizures under $50,000. But if that $100,000 floor becomes law, I think it was um, the vast majority of the seizures done in St. Charles County would not have been eligible for the equitable sharing program because there's a decision point that prosecutors make whether to go state or federal. And it would essentially say that in X, you go up this side of the decision making tree. Does that have any traction? Do we know yet? It usually will get a committee hearing, at least kind of voted out of committee. It just depends on, you know, the deal that he strikes with leadership to have a conversation about it. But law enforcement generally kind of comes in and says you're going to cripple our ability to take down these these drug cartels and to impact the drug cartel. So it usually looks like it gets at least a hearing, um, and it just kind of depends on where they see the path. And I don't know about its fate in the Senate either. Uh, Bill, you mentioned some uh, high-profile people who support reform on the national level. Any traction at that end? You know, they they tried back in 2016 and didn't get very far. So I I think it would require a whole other sort of major initiative. I mean, you know, part of what we're doing in this reporting project, and it sort of gives you a a little bit of a window into the new world of journalism. This is uh, the project's funded by the Pulitzer Center for Crisis Reporting, uh, you know, run by my 
my friend John Sawyer who used to be with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch as the Western Bureau Chief. Uh, we have a bunch of reporting partners around the country, Texas Tribune, uh, Kentucky, Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting, Midwest Center for Investigative Reporting. Um, and so, you know, you know, maybe the additional media attention will, will result in something. Washington Post had a big story in 2014 that resulted in the last uh, reform effort, but then it, it didn't get through. Yeah. Your partners, Rachel, finding the same thing that uh, you guys have found? Hard to say because actually Missouri has, we've learned, some of the best data on um, asset oh. forfeiture. Each county has to report the stops and what they have seized. Uh, the auditor actually mm -hmm. compiles information about federal money coming in. Um, so we kind of have at our fingertips without having to really uh, do a lot of, you know, we want this document and this document and this document have this information. One thing you got to watch real carefully on the reform efforts is that so the current Missouri law, which as Rachel said, is rated pretty highly, uh, you know, looks great on paper. It's the result of a big reform back in 1993 that followed a post-dispatch uh, series hooked on hooked on drugs that showed how the police were hooked on drugs to buy. Uh, buy things. And, uh, you know, that said, you got to have for a state forfeiture, you got to have a criminal, uh, you know, criminal conviction, money has to go to, to the schools. But as we outlined, you can just get all around all of those reforms by going the federal route. And there are some states that have blocked the federal route completely. They say uh, that you cannot. I think New Mexico is probably so. the only one that has completely blocked that federal civil asset forfeiture. It's just basically anything that you you bring in goes to, and I don't know where exactly it goes in New Mexico, but it has entirely blocked that path. Uh, I've got to wrap up the segment but very quickly. What do the feds use the money for? We know what the, the local cops do. <laughs> do we know? You know, I don't know exactly, although I did notice that I, I believe that President Trump was looking at uh, the uh, forfeiture account as part of as one of the funds where he could get some money for the wall, but I I, I really don't know the I, I don't know the details. Jeff of that. Jensen here in the Eastern District of Missouri says a lot of it will go into sort of the Victim Services Fund, help yeah. provide the the counseling and other services that a, a victim of a federal crime. May Jensen, need. the U.S. Attorney, is the U.S. Attorney here in the Eastern District. Yeah, got to leave it right there. I want to thank you both, Rachel Lipman and Bill Freivogel, for uh, telling us about your reporting, which can be found on our website at stlpublicradio.org. That series began today. Thank you both. Always Thank a pleasure. Very interesting stuff. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.